All right, so um, episode six. I can't believe we've made it this far. Thanks to our 250 Facebook followers and the 300 or so unique listeners that we had last week. This week, we don't have any guests. We don't have that much to talk about. I've had a bit of a shit week. Darren, I think you've been quite busy this week. You might want to turn off now or you can keep listening. Give us a chance and see how we go. Darren, how are you doing? Great. That was. Uh, if I was listening, I'd be gone already. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> kind of the idea, really, because I can't be bothered. <laughs> oh, stop it! Come on. I know you've had a you've had an awful week. I, I you've had a terrible week. So maybe I just talk some sense for forty minutes, and you just record. Maybe that could work. Talk. I don't know about sense. Am I right in thinking? Is it you that's been to a drive-through lap dance this week? No. Although an appealing uh, proposition as it is um, in Oregon the Lucky Devil Lounge, um, to try and counter COVID and losing their customers, have developed a drive-through lap dance fast food and takeaway, uh, which I think is absolutely unique. I'm not sure whether we're going to see any, anything like it in Auckland. Be interesting concept for McDonald's, maybe. What concerns me more is the food combined. To be honest, right, drive-through lap dance, fine. Yeah, I don't fancy it myself, but I can see the appeal. But what I don't fancy doing is eating my kebabs while uh, watching lap dancers. I think the worst as well is if you ate a kebab that was covered in lube. <laughs> I don't even like garlic aioli. <laughs> so the Lucky Devil Lounge, um, for anyone that ever wants to go to Oregon, now, there aren't many reasons to go there anyway, but um, and nobody can go there at the moment. But I'll we'll um, put the link in the show notes. Well, definitely. If just in case anyone in the future goes to America and wants to drop into the lucky devil. Some other interesting stuff this week in North Queensland. Uh, police launched a murder investigation after a body was found by the side of the road. So they completely cordoned off this road. And when they went to investigate the body, they actually found it was a lifelike sex doll. The reason they worked out that it wasn't human, apart from the fact it had no blood, um, was that they actually found the instructions with it. And it comes, uh, it became apparent that this sex doll actually even had a name. It was Naomi. There's a few things to unpack there. So first of all, the fact that the crime scene investigators, or whatever they're called in Queensland, needed instructions to work out it wasn't a dead body. <laughs> does concern me um and the second thing is that i do wonder whether it was that south korean football club trying to dispose of the evidence Did you oh hear yeah that? they were they were using sex dolls in the seats to to um replicate supporters or something that's right i i'm a bit worried we're not being that topical now because that was a few weeks ago but it takes that long to get from south korea to queensland under the COVID crisis, I guess. Yeah, well, that sex doll would have um, certainly been interesting trying to check in for its flight. But uh, yeah, what, what was concerning is they actually closed the entire road off before even ascertaining it wasn't human. So <laughs> yeah, you've got to wonder how Queensland's only got seven COVID deaths when its police force can't even recognise what's a life, life, a real life murder and, um, and not. Some other stuff I saw was a really cool story actually coming out of Belgium. Um, these multi-storey um, retirement villages, for, because obviously people can't go into retirement villages at the moment, one crane company is actually renting out its cranes to allow um, families to reunite by lifting them up to within two metres of the balconies of where, they're, um, where their relatives are living in these retirement villages, which I thought was really cool. I don't think that's cool. I think that's horrifying. Can you imagine, right, you're... 
Granny, I don't know what a typical Belgian surname would be. Your Granny Herge. Waffle. Go on. Sat in, uh, <laughs> your, your Granny Pomfrets with Mayo. Sat in, um, sat in your little room, <laughs> suffering of, uh, you know, dementia maybe. You turn round and you see a hallucination of your grandkids floating outside the window. <laughs> That's absolutely terrifying. You would like to think that they knew it was happening and it wasn't just like some surprise that kind of got thrust upon them. Because I think I'd be horrified if I was sat in my bedroom and all of a sudden someone appeared at my bedroom window. Yeah, no, it'd be like one of those vampire films from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, just, just like, just sort of, I can't remember what they even call it, and levitating outside your room. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a scary thought, but I thought it was a cool idea because, you know, these elderly relatives that are stuck in these homes for months on end with no company um, to try and at least try and reunite with family, I thought was a pretty cool concept. Yeah, yeah, I'm not convinced. <laughs> You're in that mood this week, aren't you? <laughs> you are right really, in that mood. We are I haven't really time, I got any time for old right. people stuck in their, uh, <laughs> stuck in their homes. Being We're going to have mad. such a debate tonight. You're going to be so argumentative parade of um, relatives they haven't seen for months floating past their windows. <laughs> well, what's going on in your world then? What have you seen in the news? What I've been doing is I've been doing a little bit of investigating and that's into um, alien big cats or wild big cats in the UK. Is this because you run a sci-fi podcast as well? <laughs> no, because that's science fiction and fantasy. This is science fiction and, well, probably fantasy as well. But there's there's some slight evidence, and um, one of the best stories, which I just need to put up the link from, is um, was fantastic from the Basingstoke Gazette. Oh, that world renowned! It's not exactly the New York Times, is it? Well, I've got family from who live in uh, Andover, which is just down the road from Basingstoke, and Basingstoke is their big city. It is the New York Times to people who live in Andover. For anybody in New Zealand that has no idea of Basingstoke, how would you describe it compared to New Zealand? Well, it's actually when you drive in, the signs outside say "Welcome to Amazing Stoke." You know it's shit when somebody creates a sign like that. <laughs> So apparently a guy called Henrik Winkleberg from Winklebury, near, which is good a good start, um, was walking his dog when he spotted a large animal in the field in front of him. He reckons it was this black panther. I reckon it was a horse. <laughs> it may not have been a black panther, but the um, an expert from the British Big Cat Society said, the image is very interesting as it does initially look like it could be a large feline. However, as there is no real sense of scale and the fact that the image is so poor quality, it could actually still be a dog or even a large fox. It could also be brown rather than black due to the way it is lit. The journalist went with it's a black panther, but an expert has looked at the same photo as me. And to be honest, I'm no expert, but I'm zooming in on the screen now. Mate, I am looking at that photo and that could be a cat. I mean, that is just, I tell you what, you obviously don't need to do a lot to get into the Basingstoke Gazette, surely. I reckon old Henry could have been just coming back from a nightclub at 5.30 in the morning and just looked at some black dot in a field and just took a photo of it. What I like, though, is the journalist, uh, the quality of journalism in the Basingstoke Gazette, because they then go on to tell us, well, they asked, the, they posed the question, what is a panther? <laughs> the answer to that, is a panther is a large cat whose coloration is entirely black. It is native to Asia, Africa, and America. And 
hang on a minute, what? A big cat that is native across all three continents? But then he goes on to say, well, Black Panther is not, a panther is not a distinct species. It's basically, it could be a leopard, could be a jaguar. Um, the only thing it's got in common is that they're black. It's just kind of a nickname. I bet you, I bet you old Henrik's pretty disappointed he didn't meet a cougar at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> well, you could, you could quite easily meet a few. I know where you could meet them in Basingstoke. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Definitely. And you're criticising you're criticising my driving strip club. <laughs> that is quality journalism. Not it only is, and they, they then fill in. And, hang on, they then fill in another three paragraphs telling us all about black panthers' native habitats, what they're like, how many subspecies there are of leopard. It's the journalist has done some real Wikipediaing. Thing is, it's obviously not a panther. Yet they've made what is a two-line story into like front page. I mean, it's a skill. You've got to give him his due. It's a skill. No, it's a good good bit of work there. I mean, if any child in Basingstoke was doing a school project on panthers, this would be just superb for them. It would be perfect. The fact that the panther isn't even found within about 8,000 miles of the UK, uh, that's quality. What else have you got? <laughs> that's where you're wrong, because um, that's not the only big cat sighting the UK's had recently. In East Finchley, on the 20th of May this year, Armed police were called to a garden. So that's this East Finchley's in North London for quite an urban built up or suburban built up area. I was going to say Amazonian jungle, Amazonian jungle style place. Yeah, well, the photo is actually a lot more convincing because I don't know if you can see what I can see, but I can see that. That is actually like a big spotted cat. But then you (laughs) you read on and find out that where it was seen, Billionaire's Row, which is so called because of the high property prices. It was probably a savannah cat, which is actually a crossbreed between a domestic cat and a serval, which is a very small big cat in inverted commas, more like a bobcat or something. And I mean, if it can interbreed with a domestic cat, then it's clearly not drastically different. But I can see, to be fair, why people would be a bit nervous about that. And I also do wonder whether the Tiger King has and some of the stories in there about runaway wild animals has led to people getting a bit more receptive to the idea that there's big cats roaming around the UK. Maybe the Tiger King just dumped all of his cats around the world just as so it wasn't it was less evidence. But um, I don't know what's going on in the UK at the moment. Obviously, they've got massive problems with coronavirus and their government is in absolute meltdown. Maybe the press are trying to take some heat off them by random big cat stories. Well, I actually did wonder whether a panther was so far away from where it belongs because it was testing its eyesight. <laughs> oh, we could talk all night about that government. They are absolutely shameful at the moment. Is, is this your entire? Is this your entire content? Is cat content? Is like you, you've you've really been on the big cat theme this week. Yeah, well, one story leads to another. Um, you know, Tiger King did make a big impression on me. I wanted to take some heat off the British government as well. Because um, I don't think they deserve all the stick they're getting. You've got to be kidding me. As a Labour voter, you are saying that that government is not deserving of the stick it's getting. I was a member of the, I was a member of the Conservative Party, and I think they should be thrashed to death. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm being sarcastic, actually. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty outrageous, but I'm also enjoying watching them tearing themselves apart. What is more importantly, though, talking of... Um, national leaders with um some interesting ideas and strange stories attached to them is that the uh, north korean government have come out and formally announced 
that the founder of the the North Korean state, Kim Il-sung, grandfather of the current leader, if he's still alive, actually didn't have the ability to teleport? Oh, my God. So for about 100 years in North Korea, they've actually believed that somebody could teleport. I'm not sure if it was 100 years. It was, it was the 1950s, but... Oh, OK. So, yeah. <laughs> but even 70 years ago, this is even pre-Back to the Future stuff. North Korean state media, which is controlled by the government, obviously, because it's controlled by the government, have issued a report de- denying that the country's leaders have mythical powers, a possible signal that current leader Kim Jong-un is attempting to undo the deification of his predecessors. So now his grandfather apparently could teleport. And um, I also heard, even more amazingly, that he managed to score 18 holes in one in one round of golf. <laughs> Here we go. No, uh, yeah, right. shooting a 38 under par round of golf with five holes in one in his first attempt at playing That's sport. I know when I first played golf, I had exactly the same luck. It's just, it's amazing how the sport does it to you. Five holes in one. Jesus. It also made me think, I wonder if what the British government is trying to do actually is cover up Dominic Cummings has the ability to um, teleport. Yeah, maybe he actually didn't drive 400 miles. Maybe he just teleported himself 400 miles. Yeah, and that's what they're actually, that's the real truth. The ruling, the global ruling elite actually all have the ability to teleport and he's the one who's stupid enough to get caught doing it wow any other any of them amazing things coming out of north korea or is that well that's really shocked me i didn't even know the people in north korea had the ability to teleport either i'm obviously not well researched enough well no they don't that's what i'm saying yeah but to but up until that story a week ago, everybody thought they did. I can't believe where I've been the last 49 years, not to know. Yeah, so my research hasn't been that great this week, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, it has actually been pretty funny, like demything the fact that people could teleport. And um, it doesn't actually say whether he had a teleporter or whether he just disappeared and reappeared in another place. Oh, no, it's an inherent power that he was born with. It wasn't so he didn't, actually have to, he didn't even have to get into a machine? Nope. Oh, this is outrageous. Can't believe it. And then big cats. Like, you've been all over big cats. This is unbelievable. Do you own, do you own a cat? No, I have done. Not ah, a big one, though. No. I just wondered whether you were some sort of, like, lucid dreams about cats or something like that, and really your own cat was asleep on the bottom of the bed with you or something like that. No, I have done that in the past, though, definitely. But no, it did get me thinking, though. Um, what I am interested in is... Um, cryptozoology and of course zoology yeah so the study of animals secret animals secret animals yeah so like bigfoot yetis Loch Ness monster the the sci-fi things really got you hasn't it like this whole fantasy thing is like it's massive fact this is fact darren (laughs) so if i go to if i go and sit by loch ness long enough i'm going to see the monster if i just sat there forever some people have, apparently. Yeah, I, some I like to keep an open mind around these, this kind of thing. Those are probably the same people that think that the Conservative Party in the UK are doing a fantastic job. It's interesting, the British Big Cat Society. So they are basically a network of people who are big cat experts that look for wild big cats in the UK. They uh, monitor all the sightings and look to see whether how true they are or how, how much evidence there is to back them up. And they reckon there's at least 200 wild big cats in the UK. I, I really hope that's not a paid job and they were able to complain to, to, to claim 
some subsidy, employment subsidy to run a big cat society. It's taxpayer, fun- it's taxpayer funded. Oh, we want to know why the UK is in the state it is. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> There's probably a good reason why neither of us are still there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm scared. I'm quite scared. This is what I tell Kiwis, right? You walk down a street in the UK, you never know when you're going to get attacked by a wild cat. There's plenty of streets in the UK you could walk down and be attacked by a wild cougar. (laughs) There's plenty of those in the UK. Yeah, I'm lost. I'm lost for words. I don't really know where to go with that. Um, Me neither. I'm starting to regret choosing these stories. Well, I mean, the great thing about it is, though, is the UK, which is probably the least exotic country in the world, from both a, you know, sort of, it's not exactly got the Amazon jungle or anything like that there, and it doesn't exactly have the greatest climate. Why on earth would there be 200 of these big cats roaming around, effectively the worst climatic country in the world? Because until the 1970s, people could keep them in their private houses. Oh, and so when the law was changed to ban it, they were just all released. So does somebody think some 65-year-old wild cats are walking around England? No, but naturally they would They would meet each other and breed. This potential. And what we're seeing now are their descendants. Plus people still keep them illegally, and then when it looks like they're going to get caught, they release them. I can't believe where we've come from in a week. <laughs> <laughs> this time last week we were having the most serious political discussion um, that I've had for a long time with jamie lee ross and uh, i want to know what jamie lee ross's policy is on wild big cats <laughs> maybe he could get gareth morgan to sign up as one of his members he has a pretty good policy on cats i like his policy on cats but i liked his policy on cats yeah i'm cutting that bit out <laughs> I can't handle all the death threats we're gonna get i'm gonna get them not you <laughs> I'm, not unsymp- I'm not unsympathetic to the idea of um ridding this country of all of the invasive mammal species um i'm not convinced cats are the first ones we need to get rid of i think dairy farmers do more damage than cats i just hate cats if you if i don't know what it is i just hate cats you want us to start getting rage tweets aimed at us cause some controversy i'm happy to say my view on dairy farmers is they do more damage to the environment in this country than any stoats or possums and when i'm driving around rural country roads at night it's not possums i aim for it's dairy farmers (laughs) <laughs> you know if there was no dairy farmers the new zealand economy would effectively cap- capitulate and it would not be um replaced uh by these amazing businessman style entrepreneurial stoats so what what's your big deal about dairy farmers why do you think the dairy farmers damage the country more than a stoat it's all to do with the density of the cattle that they're farming it's all to do with the emissions i i've actually started down a path like a bit like the big cats really. I'm not sure I can oh, mate, bother to go down but... be seriously about emissions like <laughs> do you know there's five million people in this country that fart every day and and probably on a large amount of times per day probably do more damage to the ozone than yeah well the people that do the most damage are, are the dairy farmers I reckon we go and draw a, a triangle of what the apex predators are in New Zealand. I can't see dairy farmers being top of the apex, and then we just start killing them top to bottom. Why don't we do that instead? We could. <laughs> I reckon at the top of the apex triangle is stoats. Yeah, yeah. No, no stoats, stoats and possums. 
Cats. Fucking cats. Um, cats are pretty bad. I must admit, I, I, I love cats, but I actually wouldn't want a pet cat here. No, I wouldn't want a pet cat anywhere. I'm a dog person, most definitely. Well, dogs you are definitely up real... there as dangerous animals that destroy the environment. No. I mean, like, the thing about a dog is you can have a good fight with it. With a cat, it just it doesn't know when it's not a joke anymore. Like a dog's just like, it's always a joke when you have a fight with your dog. But a cat gets to a point where it's like, actually, I'm going to claw your face off. I don't know. You don't hear about many people getting their faces clawed, clawed off by cats, but you do hear about people getting their faces bitten off by pit bulls. What, like the pop star? You've lost me. You must be talking about someone from before my time. <laughs> you can't tell me you don't know who Pitbull is. I've never heard of Pitbull. Oh, no way. Oh, man. You can't cut that out. You can't cut that part out. <laughs> I'm happy to. Uh, I'm guaranteed I don't know anyone know. who knows who Pitbull Our is. viewers need to know that you don't know who Pitbull is. Viewers? He's like the least important person to music in the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with a guess here that this is something that your um, kids listen to. <laughs> yeah, my kids. Um, yeah, I think my kids only listen to it when I put it on in the car. And um, they know how much I absolutely hate the sound of my own voice. And they can see my nails like every time I speak, clawing into the, into the steering wheel. Because I don't know what it is. I just hate the sound of my own voice. So you, so you drown it out with Pitbull? That's right. <laughs> I can't believe for, we're not showing any video here but Matt's actually gone and <laughs> googled who Pitbull is <laughs> you can't tell me you don't know any of Pitbull's songs at all um, like seriously I... you don't know any of Pitbull's songs at all No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's like the biggest star in the world ever but he's pretty big he's done some pretty big songs with some pretty big artists like Kesha, like Jennifer Lopez, like, oh, God, who else? Like World Cup soundtracks and stuff like that. Look at that photo there. He looks like he's had an accident with his trousers on. <laughs> yeah, I sound like... like my dad now talking about a rapper <laughs> like that. I think it's really funny that you're on Pitbull's Wikipedia page trying to find something about him. But he's like, he's been, he's been like around for like forever, like 10, 12 years. Look at him. Does he look like he's gangster? No. No. <laughs> well, he actually, he looks, and this is brilliant quality audio now. I'm um, talking about what this rapper I've never heard of or pop star that I've never heard of looks like, but he actually looks like Johnny Mad Dog Adair. Um, former, oh, my God. No way. Former leader of the Ulster Defence Association. Yeah. Well-known paramilitary leader. <laughs> You are absolutely crossover politics and mu in music and comedy all in one go there. That's just that now you're going to get like, God, the 27 people that listen to this. Um, well, actually, probably... you have just reminded me of something I've done this week, which is oh, go. Um, I've actually managed to get an EP up on SoundCloud and Bandcamp, and I've got four listeners of it so far. Is this you doing your electronic dance music? It's. Um, you maybe not be able to dance to it but it's electronic music yes wow it's back how are you ever going to have time to do comedy and podcasts and dance music and Earn a you know, telling the <laughs> telling the country to go on strike and do all those really things that you do and yeah i'm not so sure talented 
just so multi-talented. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's very kind. I hate, of it. I hate it when one person just gets all the talent. Yeah, it's um, you haven't listened to it yet, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, bigging, I'm trying to big you up and try and use our 27 listeners to try and go and listen to, to go and listen to your. E- Where can they find it? Well, my EP it's called "It Takes a Nation of Pangolins." Um, can be found on SoundCloud. Wow! Just go in and type "Pangolin Nation." Is that your group name or your acting name or my your artist music? name? My your artist, artist name. My artist name. Pangolin Nation. Should we move on to some big stories this week? That is a fucking big story. That is, well, it is a big story, and four listeners—that's big. Straight off. No, the what back. I mean is me not knowing who Pitbull was because he's clearly <laughs> a famous person. And what? How many? How many albums has he sold? Seven and a half million studio albums, a hundred million. Although I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a small break, right? <clears throat> because there's loads of times where I've watched American TV, and they've invited this guest on, and the crowd's going insane, and I've gone. Who the fuck's that? Like, they're literally a famous in America only, which, of course, is 300 million people, so that's still pretty famous. But, like, outside of America, like, no one's ever heard of them. No. No, fair enough. No. It's a big story. And I think tomorrow, when you're driving to the Coromandel, you'll probably have Planet Pit on just to see what all the fuss is. I will. I'm making a note to, to add it to Spotify. And when you come back next week onto the show, you're going to be bald-headed, clean-shaven, wearing like a really snazzy jacket and shirt combo. Um, now I'm back out in public. I might well end up like you seem to have done. You seem to be <laughs> oh, clean-shaven. You. You you're not even back in public yet, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. No, not really. I'm back in public next week. So anybody who disliked my cat comment uh, can probably find me in public next week. But I am clean shaven. Um, I actually had to interview some people today for a job that I'm advertising. And uh, I thought, well, shit, I really need to make an effort. So I've, I've had a haircut and I've, wow. and I've had a shave this week. Those are my big stories of the week. Did your, um, did your wife do your hair? No, no. I, are you trying to insinuate that my hairdresser's fucking hopeless? <laughs> I'm trying to insinuate that your wife's good at, good at cutting hair. No, no. Um, I went and had it done by a professional stylist. Thank you. No, I um, I would not let my wife cannot even see more than three feet away from her without glasses. There's not a chance I'm going to let her cut my hair. No, we need to let. You've got to let him go. You've you've kind of almost become obsessed. I I think you're going to become him over the next week. I reckon you're going to hear some pitbull songs and go, "Oh, is that who it is?" (laughs) Yeah, that often happens. Actually, you're not that sheltered. You're not that sheltered. No way. That you've not heard a pitbull song. Oh, I think there's an interesting topic of conversation there. So, um, probably the first one of the night, which is, um, although we've both tried our best, um, which is, there's so much music out there now. How can anybody, any one person, expect to not have big gaps in their musical knowledge? I mean, I'm not going to start challenging you by trying to work through my mental roller decks of musical artists to find one that you haven't heard of. But, you know, I bet there'll be some big gaps there. Look, I've, I've worked pretty closely with music and been pretty exposed to music my entire life. But I can probably tell you that there's a massive gap in my music knowledge the last two years. Like, 
I used to listen to a lot of the Now albums from my kids still up until three, four years ago. And then all of a sudden they stopped posting them to New Zealand and you can now only buy them. You can't even buy them here anymore, I don't think. And so the last two years I have totally lost track. I, I kind of know who's kind of big and not big and stuff like that. But my my music knowledge of the last two years would be pretty wanting, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I went through five years of working on music festivals and that's pretty much all I did every summer was work music festival to music festival. Became very familiar with a lot of um, a lot of music, but yeah, there's huge, it doesn't prevent huge gaps developing just because there's so much of it. Yeah, I mean, now, I mean, especially with the lockdown as well, there's no music festivals, there's no concerts. I'm hoping that we're going to get back to concerts pretty soon though. I really do. A, because I've got tickets to a concert in January, so I'm really hoping they're back. Um, and a week before lockdown, I actually went to a concert. So I really miss live music. So I'm really hoping at some point we get it back really soon. Is it a Kiwi band you've got tickets to in January? It isn't. It isn't actually. Um, the last band I saw before the lockdown was the Pixies. Oh, yeah, at, of course. Yeah. At Spark Arena. They were outstanding. They were everything that I wanted them to be. And um, actually the tickets I've got in January are to see Elton John. And um, I'm going to add a little asterisk on that. Um, I actually don't mind Elton John. I think he's really good. And I love his early stuff like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. But actually my 12-year-old daughter is obsessed by his music. And she was desperate to see him. So for her birthday, which was when he was about to perform, uh, just before her birthday, um, we, got, we had tickets all lined up for her, but we'd had for months and months. And then, of course, he got walking pneumonia, which now I often wonder whether he actually had coronavirus. Because yeah, it, was it makes you wonder. Sick. It does, because he went to America just before he became sick to go to the, to the Grammys. And um, he became super sick with a respiratory illness. And you just never know. Only the fact that not everybody around him broke out in it straight after, or that we heard of, would, would, would ever doubt that. But it was around about January. He was in America for those Emmys and uh, he came down super sick. And then, of course, they cancelled. So he put them back a year, which was obviously a big bummer. And then coronavirus hit and I'm like, I've kind of already broke it to my daughter that actually if he doesn't tour in January, I don't think you're ever going to see him actually. He's like 73 now or something like that. Yeah, he's one of those artists who's been around for years, but he kind of doesn't look, he's always looked the same age for years. Well, he's never had any hair. Like, he's like, for, yeah, he's been bald since forever. Have you ever seen Rocket Man? Chubby bald men don't really age, do they? Well, I don't know. I think I've aged. Oh, I'm not bald though. Um, no, me neither. I'm chubby, but not bald. <laughs> but, uh, if you've seen Rocket Man, that's just such a great film, and and that just encapsulated all of like his great music career, and um, that really got me back into him again when I saw that film, because I quite liked him before. And my 12-year-old daughter just went insane over him when she saw Rocketman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've got eight cases left, which I guess moves us on to one of the subjects. Is like, we've moved to gatherings of 100. Actually, is it even worth it? I think the contact tracing is the right thing to do. But other than that, well, just even then, to some extent, but it's arguable how feasible or realistic it is to do it that much um yeah i i i'm kind of inclined to think let's just move to level one i mean i'm not sure if i'm really abiding by, by much except for washing my hands and 
which I do anyway. Um, I don't think I'm doing that much more often than I did before. Um, and signing into places. Yeah, I mean, look, we're not actually in level two anymore, are we? You, you look and people are standing next to each bus shelters. I go and pick my kids up from school at the moment because we don't put them on the bus because we're still trying to do the right thing. There's hundreds of parents stood next to each other. Yeah. To be honest, I don't even see the point of level one anymore. We, we're, in level two, by name only, we effectively are acting like pre-COVID. There's a, there's a group of people, and my wife's one, that is still nervous to go out and do stuff um, and one thing and another. Yeah. But outside of that, it's kind of it's gone back to where pre-COVID. I think people are not even watching the announcements anymore. People are just reading about them sometime in the afternoon. So I don't even see the point to Ashley Bloomfield giving a press conference every day. I think they just might as well release a press release instead. I think that the press conference is important, although, yeah, it's. I agree that it's not being widely watched just because if there is a sudden change, it will help to... Um, I mean, I think if there's a sudden change, the media will pick it up and, and run with it anyway, and, and yeah. social media will as well. But... Uh, I think it's kind of important to keep it to keep that in there, but yeah, the rest of it, I I think it's not really enforceable or um, being enforced, and I think that most people are, are over it now, so um, we should just move to level one, except for the borders being. Closed. I mean, when when you look around the world, we are super lucky for one oh, reason yes. or another, good luck or good management or whatever you want to call it. So. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here about your beloved leader, Jacinda. Mm. Um, one, why is she keeping us at level two? I have my own opinion, and I'm very happy to share that. And number two, are we still starting to see cracks in the coalition? Because her and Winston seem to be at massive odds about this. So I'm happy for you to take whichever one of those questions first and answer. I'm interested to know why you think she's keeping us at level two. Oh, do you want me to go first? You tell us why she's keeping us at level two. No problem whatsoever. Uh, and I've put this on several websites this week, and I think I've even got a blog ready to go uh, on top of my latest blog that I've written. Written in green ink. <laughs> she's keeping it. It's pure. It, Jacinda Ardern is now using COVID no longer as a health issue. She is now using it as a political issue. There is absolutely no way that she should still be as prominent as she is. There's no way that we should even be at the level we're at. The pure reason why we're still at level two from a political point of view for her is it is keeping National off for TV. It is keeping ACT off for TV. She is bleeding the political life out of the opposition. And I don't think it should be allowed. I think there should be a minimum of 100 days before the election where people can do proper canvassing, proper political gatherings, and she is bleeding this down to the last 50 days and then refusing to move the election purely because she is keeping, A, outside of the two disasters that have happened to this country in the last couple of years, and you'll disagree, the Labour Party have delivered nothing and they've been hopeless at everything. But outside of the Christchurch massacre and of COVID, right, um, she's been found wanting massively. And the longer that she keeps this going towards the election, the more air she takes out of everybody's tyres, and then she calls an election at 50 days' notice and goes, okay, you can all go out. Well, no, nobody's going to be able to challenge her at seven weeks. It's just impossible. So it's just 
hideous socialism and communism, <laughs> uh, unchallengeable leadership. It's it it stinks of it. And you know what? There are many people sharing the same opinion now that it's time that this is over. It's time that if we are going to have an election in September, that full-on political canvassing should be allowed to happen. And she is drying the life out of the political market at the moment. I think there's a number of flaws in your um, your argument. But first of all, I think that you also really need to get out and start turning those um, pictures of her around in the bookshops again, like you were doing before. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, was buying, I was buying them all and then having a huge fire. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the stupid American form of boycott is actually <laughs> give your enemy money and then chuck chuck their Nike trainers on onto a big bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that she's following the advice of um, Dr. Bloomfield and his colleagues, to be honest. I, I think that um, I think you'd struggle to show that she's not. Um, well, if we're in the position we're in, why isn't she moving the election? It's totally undemocratic. Well, well, I'll tell you what, I do think we should have fixed-term parliaments that remove the ability to call elections from the power of prime ministers. So do you think the election should be moved or not? No, I don't think it should be moved. Well, you're not because you're Labour and you know that she's sucking the air out of everybody politically and she's just doing what she does all the time and it's just me, me, me television. That's I, think, I think if the power is there, I think it's legitimate for politicians to do that kind of thing and i think that just like john key would do the same because he's a strategist this is strategy this is this is knowingly it, it's undemocratic to think that you can have a fair election at seven weeks notice not even seven weeks notice what are we less than a hundred days from the i election? don't i don't okay. think that's i don't think that's true i think that's um, absolutely if, true if you look at, you know, how British prime ministers in the past have called elections um, at even more sort of short notice, the fact is the originally the date for this election was announced pretty far out. Um, so it's not in effect actually calling the election at seven weeks notice. You actually called it way back in February. So, or whenever it was. So that's the first. Well, it, she's not calling it, but she's only allowing it to have a seven week at tops seven-week political campaign. No, I think the campaign's insane. been happening since um, since the election was announced in a, in a low-key way. Certainly yeah, the two big parties were on a campaign footing, have been on a campaign footing since then. How could they be on the campaign footing? Everyone was been locked down for eight weeks. Oh, yeah, there's been a pause. pause. Well, you can't do it now. You can't go and have a town hall gathering now. Oh, what, 100 people, 15 metres apart? No, it, it's impossible. I think if she wants a fair election and she doesn't want to be known for, um, you know, for what well, I mean, well, to be fair, she shouldn't even be in government now because she wasn't voted for. But um, this that's is the, even that's worse. the proportional system we have. Yeah, and it sucks. And um, and um, you know, it's it, it to me, it's completely undemocratic to try and dry all of the political movement right up until an election. Nobody can still really campaign. Yes, we've got Parliament back, but there's about 30 people there at most. I think there should be something where there's at least 100 days before an election where everybody can fully electioneer. Um, 
I just I just think it's actually going to turn the country against her. I think it's going to work against her in the end because I think people are now looking at it going, we've got eight cases, nobody's conforming to level two anymore. Just get on with it, missus, and just like let's just get on with the election. Let's. I, I think there's a lot of people very, very sceptical about what she's doing at the moment. That's anecdotal. I don't think the uh, the polls demonstrate that. But I think oh, look, I do. I do think that the ability to call elections um, to determine when elections are shouldn't be in the hands of the cabinet. I think there should be either a fixed term, fixed term parliaments, um, where you know what the date is from three years out. Um, and they can only be changed in the face of a natural disaster within certain boundaries. Obviously, we are going through a natural disaster right now. But the fact is, the the law allows the government to call elections when they want, within reason. Um, <laughs> Look, I um, I think the next. I think that if the Nats were doing, if the same thing was happening under a national government, I might well say the same thing as you're saying. And I think if it was a government led by somebody like John Key, they might well do something as cynical as what you're saying. Key was so popular, he didn't need to do something like this. Oh, I think he would have. I, th- I think he would have done it. I think Jacinda was still pretty popular anyway. Um, polls were up and down a bit, I admit. Um, you know, it was certainly not cut and dried. I still don't think it's cut and dried. I mean, I don't think that Labour can sit back on their laurels. I think, and, and the most dangerous thing to do would be to look at the new, um, and I keep forgetting his <laughs> I still keep forgetting his name. Todd I'd never Muller. heard of him before he became leader, you know. Yeah, Todd Muller. Todd Muller. You know, he's had a bad first week, um, but I don't think he should be underestimated because of that. I don't think he's, um, you know, I don't think he's got the same intellectual limitations as Simon Bridges um, by any means. And I think as he's got a very good, uh, effective deputy in Nikki Kay, probably, and one who's popular and towards the centre of politics as well. Um, so I think there's a real issue there for us um, in Labour to um, consider um, is that they're probably capable of potentially winning the election. But I don't think that would necessarily be changed one way or the other anyway, by simply by um, giving, giving 100 days to campaign or whatever. I think, I think it would still, you'd still end up with the same result that we're going to end up with anyway, which would be a, probably be a narrow Labour victory as long as Labour works hard and doesn't screw it up. And I just, yeah, I just don't think there's a, a need to do what you're kind of hinting at. And I think that, the advice is quite clear. You know, this is the Director um, Public Health that's advising us to do this and the Cabinet are going along with it. And to be honest, um, yeah, we've seen some disagreements within the Cabinet co- spilling over into public now. And I think that's natural given that we're moving, you know, the election campaigns have restarted for all the parties. They have actually restarted already, um, even though it's level two. And parties are campaigning and they're doing it quite effectively online. They're having um, Zoom zoom meetings and facebook live events and things like that um so do it getting out into the public and having big town hall meetings oh no it's not um renders passion and and being in the in the in the space at the time pretty hard to have a political rally by facebook live isn't it well it's not ideal to only be able to do that but actually i think it's forcing parties to learn new ways of campaigning as well which will um serve them well in the future but I think the um, fractures we're seeing within Cabinet are what you'd expect anyway, because I think it's important for the three parties to start clearing some, drawing some clear lines between them, especially those parties that may well, you know, be at risk of dropping below 5%, as always happens to smaller coalition partners. 
Um, yeah, so there's definitely issues right. there. But yeah, in terms of your fundamental point you're making, I certainly don't think there's a deliberate decision to try and smother people's ability to campaign because actually it impacts on Labour's ability to campaign as well. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to still not be able to go out and door knock and have those rallies, which we needed as well. Don't you see enough of Jacinda TV? Like she's on it like every four minutes. I thought that, that is a she's like everywhere still. Like still going to every press conference about this, that, and the other around COVID. And she's the prime minister. Yeah, I don't subscribe <laughs> to it. I don't subscribe to it, and I think there's definitely something more sinister behind it. As I've said on this program before, she's program. Very program. You're, uh, you're promoting us beyond that. I, I, when I tell you what, when people start hearing that big cat conversation, we're going to be massive. Like, oh, I know this episode's going to push us over the top. Everybody with Tiger King, you know, we just got to put hashtag Tiger King when we post this uh, this episode. And but I've said on this podcast before, I think what she does is very deliberate and very smiling assassiny. Um, so. Hang on a minute, the smiling assassin. Isn't that what um, Joe Exotic called Carol Baskin? Making some, some callbacks and some linkages already. Jacinda Ardern is Carol Baskin. So, um, look, I, um, I think it is going to be interesting. I think coalition parties are going to suffer. I think the only coalition party that's going to come out of this well in the election is probably ACT, um, like as in a minor party, not a coalition party, sorry. Um, I think the Greens are going to suffer. I don't think they've been effective at all in this government. New Zealand first is going to be really interesting because Winston has probably proved he can't be trusted by anybody. Um, and now that Todd Muller's opened the door to him, now he's going to be playing everybody like a fiddle again. Oh, of course he will, yeah. And the, you know that's the role that him and his party play in New Zealand politics. Very interesting one. He only put a temporary no. Well, we just we need to send him this episode. Uh, I think we probably need to send him last week's episode. <laughs> I don't think that would help either, to be honest. <laughs> I think him and Jamie Lee probably get on a bit. Well, I've heard, I've heard that Jamie Lee gets on quite well with quite a lot of those politicians. I think if we sent him last week's episode, it'd be better than this week's. <laughs> I don't think we should send this week's episode to anyone. I think we've chosen <laughs> the right episode to, to use for our changeover to... Um, to the new hosting system that we're going to use. It may well make the podcast temporarily unavailable for a day or two while we're doing that. And we're moving over to Podbean. Podbean, yes. Podbean, so exciting. So, uh, Listeners, you won't notice any difference? No. But I Uh, promise we'll just just work harder. (laughs) We'll work harder to produce quality material for you. I think we've worked pretty bloody hard today, to be honest with you. No, uh, I do as well. I, I think we're bloody hard today. So, uh, Labour, you're on the, you're obviously on the Labour side. Um, you've seen obviously some change at the Nats, a few cracks in the coalition. Are you, are, uh, I think your point that you made earlier about Labour sitting back on their laurels is absolutely right. And and the classic example of that is last year in Australia. I was in Australia in July last year. I think it was July, June, July, and Bill Shorten was absolutely dead set the next Prime Minister. Even when the programme started, the political post-poll programme started, 7 o'clock, half 7, 8 o'clock, it was like, Shorten's going to be able to rule alone. 
then within an hour it was like he's probably going to be have to rule as a coalition to Morrison might actually be able to rule with a coalition to Morrison can rule alone. One plea that I will make to Nat supporters is do not give up on this election because I think what people are saying at opinion polls at the moment, and we know for the last five to ten years opinion polls have been hideously incorrect. So I think this election is absolutely still winnable because I do think there's a proportion of people out there that are frustrated by this government for many reasons. Um, so don't give up on this election. But I would still say that they would have to be favourites. Labour would have to be favourites. My, my advice to National Party supporters is, look, give up. Take your batting balls home. Actually, and, I've got you know, a, Give it a good go in three years' time and good luck to you. <laughs> I've, got a, I've actually got a slogan for Labour supporters for the general election, and that is stay home, save jobs. <laughs> yeah. Stay my, home, uh, jobs. my advice to National Party supporters is stay home and let us build some infrastructure and housing. But you but want to go. You've had enough. <laughs> you were talking about you were talking about drive-through um lap dances earlier. Um I'm actually going to a drive-through cinema. Oh, are you going to the drive-through cinema? No, no, it's not actually a drive-through cinema. Sorry. I keep no, calling it. That would be a really shit experience yeah. the shortest time. film ever <laughs> <laughs> but i am i am going to uh, the drive-in cinema because all the other cinemas are still shut ah, so um i'm going to see the guy, latest guy ritchie film asb is that the, that's not the gentleman is it it is at the asb short showgrounds yeah get in there get support in it as well so, so um, how much of your precious time have we got left five minutes something like that yeah so this is typical Labour, run out of interest because they think that it's all done in one. <laughs> no, look, um, I'm going to leave it, remembering that I'm the editor, I'm going to leave it with a parting shot <laughs> <laughs> that I might not think about till later, but I'll just go and edit it in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to spend you, the next two hours thinking about it. This is typical. This is just Jacinda Ardernism all over again. <laughs> just like take the air out of somebody else's argument omit half of my stuff that I've said and then just turn it into a complete labour fest. But some, I'll tell you what, there are some very, if you want to have a proper debate about that side of things, I think, first of all, I think listeners should tune in next week when we're going to have awesome uh, Canadian comic JJ Whitehead on talking about his latest comedy album, um, which I don't think means comedy music album. I think it means album of his stand-up comedy, I hope. I hope because I'm not a big fan of comedy music. Um, no. Unless I listen to Pitbull later and decide that he's actually. I heard that you had all the albums by the Top Twins. Is that comedy? I love the Top Twins. <laughs> I think it's an attempt at comedy. This is um, look. We've already joked about killing all the cats, and I've joked <laughs> about running over dairy farmers. Um, I really, really don't want to piss off the Kiwis too much. Yeah. So um, I love Top Twins. I'm happy to put that on record. Yeah, I think they're great. Very entertaining. I look, I look Billy Their TV too. shows are great. I don't like the Top Twins. I don't hate them. I've never met them. I can't say I hate them. I just don't like their material. It's not for me. But I think their cookery shows are good. Aren't they Labour voters? Of course. Yeah, well, no wonder you like them. All anyway, the talented, could, all the talented uh, could... artists are. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll let you have that one. Bang. So, um, so um, since level two, I understand you've had a new tattoo as well. We didn't talk about that last week. 
Oh, no, we didn't. That's right, because we were talking to Jamie Lee. I have had a new tattoo, and in fact, I've gone back to have a consultation for my next one. Wow. I for my next one as well. You are all on the tattoo at the moment. Well, um, I might go for a consultation for a tattoo, funnily enough, because I actually don't have one, and I've been ranking on about it for about 20 years, and my wife's now given me the sort of go-ahead to go and get it sorted out. So, uh, And you know what national. Typical national, you see Labour doing something. No, no I'm not fucking up. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I might go and get a tattoo consultation, so we'll check in on that next week. I've already had my hair cut. I've already had a shave. But what I have been doing since level two um, is we've now become a bit, not hooked, we, we've kind of got used to having whoop now. So three or four nights a week we have this whoop box. And that takes care of meals like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, hang but, on a minute, sorry. You and your wife are having whoop four times four times a week. We're whooping four times a week. <laughs> hey, not in front of the kids, Matthew. <laughs> Let's keep some decorum on this show. We've already killed cats and dairy farmers, so and the top twins. So let's. So is this like something like a meal in a box type of thing? Oh my it? god! Do you not know what whoop is? Oh, Never where- heard of it. Where the where on earth do you live? It's like advertised on radio, advertised on TV. It's like uh, I don't watch. Oh, TV. I don't watch. I only watch. I only watch streaming, and I only listen to Spotify. Do you only sort of tune into Jacinda's hourly election campaigning while no one else can? No. So basically, uh, oh yeah, I only. <laughs> so whoop! Yes, it is a box meal thing where it turns up and it gives you. Four meals and you cook them in under half an hour. It's all pre-prepared and pre-sized and all of that. And I'm not going to try and make out here that I cook any of them, right? So um, I'm useless in the kitchen. But hey, um, let's try and let's try and get sent some freebies, like everyone else with podcast talks about. What, so what Whoop needs to do is send you a box meal for two. That's what they need to. And do. And you're recommending them, aren't you? You're saying I am. Really good. I totally. No, we uh, we got on them um, at the start of the lockdown, and um, they're great. Like my and. My poor wife, who's the one who ends up doing, she loves it as well because it's all pre-sized, all pre-cooked, 20 to 30 minutes. It's like a meal for a family of four. Talking of partners, I can sense my partner getting closer and closer to the room that I'm in to (laughs) drag me out to get ready to go to the drive-in cinema. What time are you going to be there for? uh, You've got to be there half an hour before it starts. When does it start? um, Quarter past nine. Oh, fuck. So I've got to go. <laughs> good. How the hell we're going to finish it off? Uh, anyway, I think yeah. we already finished it off because I talked about JJ Whitehead last night. You've given us a recommendation for a um, cuisine, for a cuisine, and um, I am just saying, vote Labour, everyone. No, fuck that. And comedy's back. The classics back. Ben Hurley's on tour, and next Wednesday yes. night, I'm and next Wednesday night, I'm doing live stand-up comedy as well. Are you? Where are you doing? Where are you doing it? I'm. Um, it is at. The Trilogy Bar and Cafe, which I think is on K Road. Fantastic. We'll put all of the evidence of where it is on the show notes. And get there because Brendan Lovegrove's the MC. $15 a ticket. Please come out and support live comedy. 